Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the programme, John Paul taking your calls at 0818 103 103 and the exams have started for a record number, 131,431 thousand students have started their state exams today in both the Leaving Cert and the uh, Junior Cert. The Leaving Cert numbers just over 63,000. There's a record number of candidates sitting the Junior Cert at just over 68,000 students and we wish them nothing but love and luck as they're sitting down facing their first paper and it is the first time since 2019 that it's a return to an exams only Leaving search. There's no reliance this year on grades that would have been based on teachers' marks, which of course had to be introduced as an emergency measure for both the Leaving Cert class of 2020 and the Leaving Cert class of 2021 and then the junior cycle, uh, June exams, they're back also after a two-year absence due to the pandemic. Now, the current rise in COVID infection rates, that is likely to affect some students' attendance at exams at this year. There's a mandatory eight-day ban from exam halls for any candidates who contract the virus while while the exams start. Students now who have nasal symptoms, things like a runny nose or or sneezing, but otherwise feel well, they're allowed to to attend the exams. And there isn't even a requirement for them to do an antigen test. And that's in line with the latest HSE advice on attending school. And I'm assuming that's to do with the time of the year. There will be a number of students, bless their hearts, who suffer from hay fever, who will be inside in the exam hall and they'll be sneezing and they'll have runny noses and all of that and that if we were to go on the rule that everybody with a runny nose is not allowed to attend the exams then a lot of students wouldn't be showing up so they're just going with the candidates who test positive for COVID-19 they must not go back into the exam hall for eight days which technically will mean they'll miss the majority of their exams. So there is a second sitting of the Leaving Cert which is going to run from the 30th of June through to the 16th of uh, July and that will cater for students who miss exams because of COVID-19 or who miss exams because you know a range of other specified things like you know serious medical uh, condition or if there was a family bereavement and a student felt they couldn't just do the exam so they'll be allowed to the second uh, sitting but the problem is we don't know how many people 
because of COVID will have to sit that second uh, exam. There, by the way, no deferred sitting for the junior cycle. If a junior cycle student ends up getting COVID, then they just miss the exam. And that's uh, it. And as the exams get underway, the Leaving Cert candidates still do not know when to expect their results. And that is probably a first. Traditionally, students would always know the day they start their exam. They'd know exactly the date that they would be getting their results. And obviously that then uh, will lead to, it could lead to a delayed timetable for the CAO first round offers and the knock-on effect of that could be a late start for the college year. And the unprecedented full second sitting of the Leaving Cert, there's also a shortage of examiners and there also remembers that commitment to students that results overall will be no lower than last year's inflated grades are all reasons being put forward why they can't give a definite date as to when the Leaving Cert results will be out. And actually the State Examinations Commission, they have issued a last minute appeal for teachers to work as examiners for both the junior cycle and the leaving certificate. It seems there's a shortfall in applications across most subjects and that is again one of the factors that's leading to uncertainty over the leaving cert results I suppose for a lot of teachers they just want to have their summer holidays and they don't want to be tied down with having to correct leaving cert and junior cert papers so I don't know what the shortfall is they always seem to have a shortfall because normally as the exams start we will be hearing about the State Examination Commission looking for extra teachers to come forward and it, but there's usually set subjects we're usually talking about a particular range of subjects that they're looking for teachers but it seems now it's across most subjects that they reckon at this stage they don't have enough people to correct the papers so that's going to prove to be a little bit of a headache for the State Examinations Commission and certainly it's going to be a headache for all of the universities because they are desperate to know the date that the CAO offers come out so that they can start planning their timetables and when colleges will begin particularly for the first year uh, students. So as I say all we can do now is wish all of the exam students the best of luck and I know there's many parents and grandparents the length and breadth of the country offering up prayers and there's candles lighting all over the place and novenas have been started in the hope that your young student is going to do well in the exam and then we came across and this I think is a powerful piece that was written by a school principal Now, it was written by a school principal in Singapore and it was sent out to every parent in his school that had students about to sit the equivalent of their Leaving Cert and Junior Cert the equivalent of their state exam and I think it is a letter that could be sent to parents all over the world in advance of the start of exams because exams can be a stressful time it obviously is a stressful time for the students but it also can be a worrying time for the parents as well and the danger is that if the parents are getting very anxious and very nervous and really want their son or daughter to do well, they can pass on some of that anxiety onto the students. So this is a timely letter, I think, to read out. And it reads, Dear Parents, the exams of your children are to start soon. I know you are really anxious for your child to do well, but... Please do remember, amongst the students who will be sitting for their exams, there is an artist who doesn't need to understand math. There's an entrepreneur who doesn't care about history or English literature. There's a musician whose chemistry marks won't really matter. 
there's an athlete whose physical fitness is more important than physics. If your child does get top marks, then that's great. But if he or she doesn't, please don't take away their self-confidence and dignity from them. Tell them it's okay. It's just an exam. They are cut out from much bigger things in life. Tell them no matter what they score, you love them and you will not judge them. Please do this. And when you do, watch your children conquer the world. One examination or a low mark won't take away their dreams and their talent. And please do not think that doctors and engineers are the only happy people in the world. And with warm regards, and it was signed by the principal, as I say, it was a, a, a school principal in Singapore. But I think a great, great message that we give out to all parents today as their sons and daughters start leaving cert and junior cert. 0818 103 103. John Paul taking your calls with the reminder that all this week we've teamed up with Foot Solutions and they're proud to be celebrating 15 years here in Cork. Free your feet and the rest will follow. They've kindly given us €150 Foot Solutions gift cards to give away every day this week. Later on on the programme, I will play you a 15 second audio from an event that happened sometime in the last 15 years. And you're going to, I'll be giving you a question with regard to the clip that I play. And then we'll open the text and the WhatsApp service and you'll have about 10 minutes to enter. And then we will select a winner from the correct answers that we receive. And today, one lucky listener will be winning a 150 euro foot solutions gift card. John has been on to uh, the programme giving out about our Taoiseach Micheál Martin. He says I feel instead of Micheál Martin being over in the EU and asking them for the for Ukraine to be fast tracked into the EU while his own country is falling down around him. We've got rising house prices. There's a report out today showing uh, house prices were back nearly to where we were at Celtic Tiger uh, figures. Uh, John says we've got these rising house prices, we've got inflation, we've got anti-social behaviour, which we're going to be dealing with on the programme this morning. He said, if Ukraine do enter the EU, then that's fine, let them come in. But is it not time that Micheál Martin should be talking to the Irish people? And in fairness to uh, Micheál Martin, he's not just over John in the EU. It is one of the things he is discussing to fast track uh, membership to the EU for Ukraine. But I also, um, this is only from this morning, He's been talking about the Northern Ireland Protocol and uh, he is saying that solutions to a practical to practical problems of the protocol and the political will, he said, will have to be agreed to. But he, you know, was explaining that it requires partnership. It requires the UK government to engage with good faith, uh, seriousness and commitment. And he says, and I quote, unilateral action to set aside a solemn agreement would be deeply damaging. He said it would mark a historic low point, signalling a disregard for essential principles of law, which are the foundation of international relations. And he says it would quite literally be of benefit to absolutely no one. So he's over there very much pushing that we need to get agreement with the UK government when it comes to the Northern Ireland Protocol. So it's, he's not just in the EU, in the EU John, uh, fighting the corner for the Ukraine. But thank you for your call to 0818 103 103. Up next we're talking about a shortage of uh, taxis and what can be done about it. Court today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Promoter, home, business 
Wellness, Farm, Life and Health Insurance, cmig.ie. In the Dáil last month, the Transport Minister Eamon Ryan admitted that thousands of taxis were no longer in operation since the pandemic, which is explaining why so many people are struggling to get a taxi, especially at busy times like late at night. Fianna Fáil's Transport Spokesman, Deputy James O'Connor, feels the taxi industry in Ireland is broken and is in need of modernisation. Deputy James O'Connor joins me. Good morning to you, James. Good morning, Patricia. And you're welcome to the programme. Why does this country not have an Uber service like so many other countries operate? So, Patricia, it comes down to regulation. Uh, What we have in Ireland is that the Uber platform actually works. It's an application on your phone for people who are not aware, uh, similar to how my taxi operates. Uh, But it's not the same as what you'd have in the United States where you'd have people who would be private drivers that go through an accreditation system to apply to become Uber drivers. So essentially what you have in the US and some other countries around the world is that they have an option of both platforms where people can get the normal taxi, as, we, as you'd notice, flying over the roof, and also uh, your, 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 your option of getting the Uber service as well. So that's, that, that, is the, that is something that I think that needs further examination in Ireland. Uh, there is definitely space for both, and what we are seeing, and it's a huge concern, is that there's a, an absolute lack of taxis at the moment, and it's quite dangerous, particularly at night time, uh, for a lot of people who are out socialising uh, at late hours in the evening in our city centres, in Dublin and Cork particularly, I'm hearing a lot of issues regarding this, so we do need to do some work on it. So for Uber drivers, they don't need to get a special licence like a taxi licence? So yes, it's it's completely separate traditionally, from the taxi system where I suppose you'd have a company set up essentially, uh, you'd have to go through the whole process of acquiring um, the the license to operate as a taxi. You know, taxis would also have different rules, being able to use bus lanes, to be able to use taxi ranks as well. Uh, So there is a difference between both. But essentially it operates like a mobile Airbnb. Uh, So if people could think of it from that perspective, it's like having hotels and Airbnbs. So Mm. private operators, they have to go through an accreditation system with the company. People can leave reviews about drivers. They can report issues regarding drivers as well. Um, There are some aspects of the Uber platform that are operating somewhat normally in Ireland, uh, but that's only for premium vehicles at the moment. So that's something I think that there's a space there. Uh, Just as one rapid fix that could definitely help the number of of available cars for use uh, when it comes to a taxi service uh, in our cities in Ireland and in rural areas as well. Because unfortunately, Patricia, uh, this has to be said, is that it's impossible at the moment to get a taxi. Mm. I'm hearing an awful lot of issues uh, in Dublin. It's also happening in other parts of the country, including our own county here in Cork. Uh, and that's something that Eamon Roy needs to get serious about. Yeah, and I've used Uber uh, in other countries. I've certainly used the, uh, Uber in France and I've used it in Australia. And in many cases, it's people, they operate as Uber's almost like a part-time job, um, you know, and, and therefore they'll work some of the antisocial hours, like when they're free in the evening times and late at night when it can be difficult to get taxis. So they pick up the flack at those very busy times for the taxi. So it's not necessarily that they'll be taking work away from the taxi drivers. They'll almost complement their work. Definitely. That's, you know, one area that I think it will have a a very big impact in if it was fully implemented in Ireland. But from my own experience and from others as well, uh, I I find that, 
you know the late night uh, late night taxi services uh, and the weekends and you know when there's matches happening uh, that it's incredibly difficult to try and get a taxi now uh, in Irish cities but that's something that just has to be looked at uh, and the other issue as well that's a bugbear of mine and many others is that many taxis are refusing to take card payments uh, and that's you know an issue particularly in today's society where we live where many people you know they, they live their life by contactless payments uh, whether it's through their mobile phone uh, or through their card as well uh, and so that's causing a lot of issues particularly for people who you know are not in the habit anymore of carrying cash on hand uh, that they can find it very challenging to try and get taxis because taxi drivers are refusing to take cash. Uh, and unfortunately... Are they legally you know, obli- obliged? Are, 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 legally, can they do that? My understanding is that, you know, that that service should be provided for taxis where there is that access to contactless payment and car payment and also with cash as well. But at late at night, unfortunately, what I'm coming across all too often and that's been brought to my attention by many people is that there's just a downright refusal to take card payment now, which unfortunately, you know, is putting a lot of people at risk, people who are actually trying to hail down a taxi late at night in the evening, that they cannot get access to one. So, you know, that's one reason why we just have to ask the question, is it time now to look at what other countries are doing and they've been doing successfully? And that's, you know, the space that's available there for, for other platforms, including Uber, uh, and I think that's exciting in terms of the difference it could make. It does work, as you've, as you've referenced, Patricia, in other countries. And look, it's not it's like anything else. It is not without problems. It takes a lot of getting used to. Um, but I feel that this is something in Ireland uh, that might potentially um, provide a very good service. Mm. And of course, the, the one advantage with Uber, when you're talking about paying by cash, you don't exchange any money with the, the driver. It's all paid through the app. Uh, and that's correct, and it's a very safe system because unless you're in the vehicle, you know, there is geotagging with the mobile phone services. You know, it's very advanced technology uh, that essentially makes it safe in terms of the transaction. Often what I find, many people can be very suspicious of new services. It takes a long time to develop that trust. Um, but I view this in other countries when I've been traveling for work, and it's certainly, you know, a very, very uh, good platform. Uh, I do think that when it comes to our transport services, that we have a very, very big issue in this country now with taxis, unfortunately, and that's becoming extremely problematic. And it is a safety risk as well, because late in the evening, you know, when you have young students, they're out, out uh, enjoying their lives, you know, it's important that they're able to get home safe. And when you have a situation where no taxis are available at four o'clock in the afternoon, you know, one has to ask the question, what's the case when it's after midnight and people want to get back to their place of accommodation? And unfortunately, that is happening. Uh, and it's, it's deeply, deeply concerning. Well, I saw Nolene Blackwell from the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre backing up everything you're saying, you know, and saying something needs to be done. And, you know, she, of course, cited that dreadful uh, rape case of that 17-year-old girl who was gang raped. She couldn't get a taxi home and she unfortunately took a lift with a, a group of young men and it, it just went disastrously wrong uh, for her. And, to, you know, to hear Nolene Blackwell saying, you know, we need to protect young girls and indeed young boys as well it's just very frightening to be caught out late at night and you can't get a taxi home It certainly is and I, I can see how it's happening you know particularly the dogs it's very late as people will be aware it goes into one or two o'clock in the morning particularly uh, on Wednesdays uh, and when I'd be going back to my accommodation whether on foot or in car you really see the bulk of the issue you see so many young people coming out of nightclubs uh, and sadly you know you have to ask the question for those that are walking home alone uh, you know, there always is that risk. 
Uh, and sadly, it's it's just one of those issues that's been personified now by the lack of transport services to get young people back, you know, to the student residences where they may be maybe in college um, or where they're living during their, their higher education. And I really think that you know the taxi issue is is causing a huge youth safety uh, concern there now at the moment. So I'd like to see a lot of work being done in this in the run up to the budget later this year. Uh, we know that October time that the government will be releasing the new budget for the year, and potentially that would allow you know a good opportunity for legislation to be brought forward to further expand Uber services in Ireland. And from a safety point of view as well, just to say, to say this, that there is you know an accreditation platform for Uber, like Airbnb. People can provide reviews. You know, people are aware of the quality of the person driving the vehicle. They can check that they're you know, that they are in some degree accredited, that they would have rating services there available as well. Um, so you know who is collecting, you know, their name. The and and listen, it, it works so successfully in so many other uh, countries. And, and I'm right in saying that Uber tried to set up in Ireland. I think it was a pilot scheme that they wanted to put in place and it was the National Transport Authority knocked them back. So yes, the so Uber operated at the moment in Ireland for taxi services exclusively. Uh, and that's what I can't really wrap my head around is that the NTA and, and other accreditation uh, accreditation authorities in Ireland, that they are actually in service at the moment but for, for taxis. Uh, but when it comes to the service that Uber originally was envisaged to provide that they do in, in many other countries, uh, that's not available in Ireland yet. Uh, and I think there's a huge gap in the market there for that to be provided. Uh, so that, does, that deserves a little bit of thought. And as well, when it comes down to the NTA, you know, I have no confidence in the NTA senior management uh, when it comes to some of the decisions that they've been taking. You know, this is the organisation that have the have the regulatory responsibility for setting the fair prices, yet they allow many of our state agencies that operate public transport services to have both public and private companies under their remit. Uh, and, you know, it just there's a lot of bizarre uh, logic to some of the NTA decisions down through the years. And I think they've been hampering the expansion of, I suppose, public transport services uh, in this country for an awful long time. So when it comes to the NTA, you know, I wouldn't necessarily have the highest regard for them. Uh, it's very hard to see how they've made a positive impact on public transport services in this country over the last 10 years as well, Patricia. OK, and Lillian wants to point out she lives in a rural area of North Cork. This isn't just a late night city problem. She said she said to cancel two social events in the past because she couldn't be guaranteed a taxi to get her home afterwards. So it's, it's a rural issue as well, and she doesn't even have the, uh, the advantage of having public transport. You know, that's, that gives you an indication, an idea of just how bad it is. You know, I think thinking of people in Cove or, or Mallow, you know, Middleton, Carrie Tool, those areas of the county that they're, you know, they're, they are a relatively short spin down into Cork City. Uh, and and it's, it's those people that are missing out on the service. And the issue is, is that sometimes they may be able to get a taxi into town. Yeah, but, but when it's it comes, getting home. Coming home. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. And then you can't plan anything if you're, and then if you're constantly, uh, you're, you're out somewhere, constantly thinking, am I going to be able to get a taxi home? It could, it could ruin uh, your night out. Do, do you, could anything be done, by the way, to encourage more people to take up taxi licences? I think one area that would make a big difference there is that in Ireland, it's very, very expensive to purchase vehicles compared to other European countries. Something you'd notice, for example, if you're going into Germany or into, into, into Belgium, is the quality of the taxis that they have in those countries is far, far superior to what we have here in Ireland overall, that many taxi drivers, they purchase brand new vehicles. Uh, just because it's that bit cheaper, 
they've better incentives in those countries to get taxi taxi drivers, you know, to purchase new vehicles as well, and encourages more people um, to 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 take up a taxi license, which they don't seem to have the same issues we have here at the moment. I think that's one area that would would help taxi drivers an awful lot. Of course, driving, you know, and the operating of the car is is their biggest cost. Uh, and that's one area that government could do a lot of work. You know, I, I know that the VAT reduction is one area uh, that obviously is used in business quite often. Um, but one has to ask the question that, you know, we don't seem to have the same taxi fleet in terms of the quality overall of the taxi fleet in Ireland. That is the case in other European countries. And people would definitely have noticed that from landing in places like Spain and other EU countries. So that's one area that I think the Department of Transport and the Department of Finance as well, which have directed or have the responsibility over taxation, uh, could certainly identify and do some research around to see if they could actually bring some type of a medium-term solution. This won't be done overnight, of course, uh, but it could be looked at you know, over a six-month period, particularly now when we're running into that new budgetary cycle for, for next year's budget. Yeah, and you couldn't help but have sympathy for taxi drivers with the rising cost of diesel and, and petrol. I mean, there's there's some petrol now gone over, I, I passed a garage over €2.20 in some cases, and I think up the country somebody was quoting uh, €2.27 yesterday for a litre of petrol. It's absolutely crazy. Somebody said, almost impossible to get a taxi. I live in Bantry. And then another listener says, Patricia, uh, would a simple idea not be to set up a taxi company with about 30 or more taxis. All workers could be PAYE workers getting a good wage and getting more for working the night shifts. Have two shifts a day and a night shift. Um, yeah, well, it's to try to get people to go into the taxi business, I think, is the problem at the moment. All right, listen, uh, James, good luck with the Uber. I can see a number of people saying, well done to James O'Connor on this. We so desperately need Uber in this uh, country. Keep us updated, uh, James, and thank you for taking our call this morning. Thank you, Patricia. Good morning to you. That is uh, Cork East uh, Dáil Deputy, Deputy James O'Connor. Now, yesterday, Cork City Councillor Deirdre Ford put out a call via Twitter saying that the Garda Commissioner, Drew Harris, should be invited to come to Cork to address the growing concerns of antisocial behaviour and public order offences. To explain further, Councillor Deirdre Ford joins me. Good morning to you, Deirdre. Good morning, Patricia. And, and you're welcome to the programme. Why do you, you believe the city is seeing an increase in antisocial behaviour? What's it all down to? Um, I, I think it's one of those issues that kind of creeps up and, you know, people uh, begin to, you know, think there's... N- not to think as much of it as, you know, other issues. And I think there is a kind of an acceptance, you know, that maybe he's a hard man or... You know, he had a few too many, but it has morphed into serious knife crime and attacks and nuisance and antisocial behaviour will just permeate all of our towns and villages if we don't put a stop to it. Um, I, I hear people going into the city centre and they're coming home and saying, no, it was just unpleasant and they're not going in again. They're going to stay in the suburbs. Ah. No. The city is the jewel of Cork. Yeah. We need to have a pristine city. We need to have, you know, everyone feel safe, give it back to the people who want to go in there, whether they want to take a stroll with their family or whether they want to do business. And the businesses as well in the city, like they've just come out of COVID, they're trying to get back on even keel and there's maybe vomit all over the place. There could be people shooting up or selling drugs. 
there could be fellas, as we saw in the videos, you know, fighting, um, and maybe there's a knife crime as well. No. Yeah, some of those those brawls. I know last week Cork Bio uh, were reporting on a, a major brawl involving a gang of young men. That was in broad daylight on uh, McCurtain Street. And then on the bank holiday Monday, we had lots of people saw the video evidence of the, the two guys fighting. And I only found out this morning that a man in his 80s had to be hospitalised because he got caught up in that street brawl. He just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. And can you imagine how scared he oh, must have been? Shocking. I mean, did he reach eight years of age to put up with the likes of that in our street? Simply not acceptable anymore. We have matured into a very strong country with loads of potential. There's going to be festivals, as you well know, because you're involved in many of them, all over the summer. And, you know, we want people to come into the city. We want visitors to come. We want a good reputation. We want a strong core. And for that reason, I thought, let's invite Drew Harris down. I'm a great fan of his. I think he's doing a super job. But somehow there's, sometimes there's a Dublin bubble and we need to bring those people back out, particularly as Cork is the second city and its potential huge growth over the next 10 years and plenty of money earmarked to be spent in it. So we don't want to be doing all these good things and have one element that's very negative holding us back and ruining it for us and for the people that own Cork, the people that live in it. Do we simp- is, is the simple solution, do we need more Gardaí on the beat patrolling our streets, which would, would stop some of this public order offence? I think, you know, the Gardaí are fully stretched at the moment. And we did get some extra this year. And I know that the, uh, the Minister for Justice increased the number of Gardaí, um, you know, up to 15,000, I believe, in the country. But, you know, the population has changed. And I think, you know, there's more call on the Gardaí. You know, they, ha- they have to deal with intelligence gathering, you know, dealing with drug large. And they're very successful at it large drug incidences where they they manage to bring people to justice and they're very successful at other things. They deal with trafficking, domestic violence, fines, road traffic accidents. Like they have a huge spread of things to deal with. And I do believe it's not fair because as we know recently there's been some very tragic incidences and the Gardaí feel that as well. You know, they're only human after all. Mm. I think there would be a morale boost for Drew Harris to come and talk to us all, maybe the business as well, and the HSE. And let's see, should we increase fines? Should we, you know, have a drunk tank? Should we, uh, obviously, some people will advocate for addiction services. And of course, if you're in the throes of addiction, nothing makes sense to you. But mm. we still have to take those people off our streets to protect the ordinary people that work hard and deserve safety in our streets. Um, the City Council regularly clean. The City, I know David Joyce is the Director of Services. He spends a lot of time, you know, trying to maintain a cleanliness regime in the City Centre. We're upgrading um, Bishop Bishop Lucy Park, the People's Park. We're upgrading Grand Parade. We're upgrading um, McCurtain Street, the Victorian Quarter. So there's lots happening. And we want to be able to say to people, our city is one of the best in the country. 
we can rival any city that's in the country and maybe rival many European cities yeah. as well because of the friendliness and the safety. Yeah, and right. you know, and what is the point of putting all that money into our beautiful city and upgrading it if it becomes what I saw one of your fellow city councillors, Ken O'Flynn, on the papers yes. today saying that there are parts of Cork City Centre that have become no-go areas. I mean, that's, that's yes. a shocking indictment on our city. Well, yes, and Ken, I, I mean, I'm a good pal of Ken's and I think, you know, Ken... Uh, is only articulating what a lot of people are saying. And there's no point in brushing it under the carpet. We've got to take it out and say, do we need stronger fines? You know, do we need different laws to cope with it? Um, and, of course, drinking is a big problem. I remember going to Europe to uh, a conference years ago, and we were out having a meal and a few drinks, and I noticed the local people they had one drink for the whole night mm-hmm. and that they, they were kind of dancing to the music and at the end of the night they all gave each other a pick of the jeep, the jeep home. And I was contrasting that with Ireland where people probably don't go out till half 10 or 11 and they're out late and then, you know, possibly do the dog in it. Um, so the mindset or the culture needs to change a bit, I think, in how we relate to drink. Yeah, that's that's a it's a good point. That is our drink culture. Actually, I remember uh, it was a couple of years ago being in France and watching a group of young people, I'd say early twenties, come into the kind of a gastro bar, restaurant bar where we mm. were having dinner, and I watched them. There was eight or nine of them sitting around the table and they literally had one they ordered a drink they ordered food they sipped the one drink for the night ate their food continued there was water now and everything on the table but they had the one alcoholic drink for the bones of the three hours that we were in there having a meal and and, and a few drinks and I thought it was terrific to see young people and like that they got up they said their goodbyes and off they went home and we were talking about that 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 type of scene is very different back home in Ireland if that group of young people had been out in Ireland, they'd have been drinking all night. You see, the focus is on the drink yeah. rather than the food and the interaction, the chatting. And you know another thing, Patricia, that I think would be very um, helpful. We need to be slightly more innovative in the kind of uh, leisure activities that we could deliver. I mean, when you go abroad, they have, um, and I noticed this, um, i just back from England where they had these um motorised cars, little mini cars, if you like. And there was a track where they raced them. And, um, you know, it was like, an, we could say, a, a Formula One track, but miniature. Yeah. And it's very rooted all together. You know, you can have BMX tracks, you could have paddle tennis. I don't know if you ever heard of that. No. A friend of mine, um, you know, some of us are moving on where we're not as agile <laughs> as we were. And, uh you know, in Spain, I think they have a thing called pedal tennis, which is a softer ball for people um, who might be slightly more mature, but yeah. can still play tennis, but maybe not the full rigorous tennis. Yeah, you know, so to ha- yeah, have have all it, it, everything doesn't have to revolve around us going to the pub is what is what you're saying it, for for a social it, yeah for a social event. Exactly. Okay, so the call is going out to uh, Drew Harris. Do you, are you hopeful that he'll come down and chat? I'm going to speak today. I understand that um, 
he was supposed to come to the Joint Policing Committee, but COVID interfered with that, so I'll be speaking to the chair of that and asking him to extend the invitation. But I think we should have broad um, amount of people or sectors represented to meet him so that he can get a full flavour. That's not to say that our local guardy aren't telling him what's happening. I'm sure they are. But, you know, it would be a morale boost to all of us. Yeah, and there's down. nothing like hearing it from the horse's mouth. There's nothing like hearing it from the locally elected, you know, politicians yeah. and from the business community and from the yeah. people that are really affected. I mean, you know, it, it saddens me to think of an 80-year-old man who went out for a stroll on a bank holiday Monday into the middle of our, our city centre and he ends up being knocked over because this brawl broke out. He was in the wrong place at the wrong time and he had to be carted off to hospital. That, you know, that simply shouldn't happen. Yeah, and it is galling like the, when they sober up or when the brawl is over or they're taken away by the Gardaí that the next day they're all full of remorse. Yeah. But I mean, the guys that are habitually, or the girls who are habitually involved in such behaviour, we need stronger response for those. Yeah. And if Drew Harris came down and as we say, walk the land with us, I think it would have a major effect. Yeah, okay. Well said, well said. Listen, thank you for that. Uh, enjoyed chatting with thank you. Thank you, Deirdre. Sure uh, thanks for joining us. Bye bye. That is uh, Fine Gael, Cork City Councillor uh, Deirdre Ford. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Now, a couple of people commenting on my piece with Councillor Deirdre Ford about antisocial behaviour and the increase in antisocial behaviour, especially on our city streets and some of the brawls that have been witnessed of late. And of course, now with modern technology and everybody having access to a camera on their phone, people are videoing these brawls and they're going up online and everybody's getting to see them. We're not just hearing that a brawl happened. People are actually getting to witness them from these videos that are going up online. Eileen out on Bear Island has contacted us uh, this morning to say antisocial behaviour will continue and she reckons the reason it will continue is there's no deterrent for those who get caught involved in antisocial behaviour. Giving them a rap on the on the back of the knuckles isn't good enough. A lot of people she said are getting involved in antisocial behaviour as they're pushed into it by their peers or they're doing it to look cool. She says we need stricter and tougher penalties like jail or community service but she also agrees we do need to have more Gardaí out patrolling, walking the beat. We need a presence on our streets. Thank you, Eileen. And Colin was on to say during your chat with Deirdre, uh, we mentioned about a group of young people abroad spending three hours in a bar having a meal, a leisurely meal and just having one uh, drink. Well, that certainly wouldn't work in this country, says uh, Colin, yeah, because the hospitality industry would be over on top of that table fairly quickly with a gentle reminder to people that they need to be drinking, that they're in a bar and they would be moved on very quickly indeed says uh, Colin and uh, other people saying the problem we have is the problem with drink Uh, while John says what about drugs we've got an issue with drugs in this country is that leading to a lot of the anti-social behaviour well there's actually just on drugs there's a report out uh, today on substance abuse amongst young people and it really is quite frightening including the increasing use of cocaine amongst wait for this 15 to 24 year olds the author of the report which was compiled by the Health Research Board uh, Anne Doyle uh, says uh, 
it shows this report shows that the many challenges and risk factors that young people face in relation to substance use, the need for treatment and the impact of substance use on their mental uh, health. The report records an increase of more than 170 percent in the number of young people who were treated for cocaine use. And that was between 2011 and 2019, a 170% increase. Uh, they found that young people are beginning to drink alcohol at a later stage. Now, that's kind of, that's the one plus that's coming out of this uh, report. They have no definitive reason as to why, but they're thinking that it's to do with parents are monitoring children better and that more parents are having open conversations with their children about the damaging effects of alcohol. And obviously there's a greater focus in schools on health and well-being so I think that that could be one of the reasons why young people are starting to drink at a later age than say previous generations but that's about the only plus in this uh, report because the report is also showing that one in three young drinkers are regularly admitting that they are consuming too much alcohol. The survey also found that one in three people aged between 15 and 24 have an alcohol use disorder and adolescents in Ireland are ranked seventh out of 35 European countries for reports of being drunk. That's a kind of, you don't want to be up in the top 10, do you, in that particular report. The 15 to 24 year olds, um, the number of them admitted to hospital with drug use that also increased by 26%. Ecstasy and cocaine use among young people in Ireland, second highest in Europe. Uh, The report also found that cannabis remains the most commonly consumed uh, drug and there was a 26% increase in hospitalisations due to drug use and alcohol related hospitalisations that rose by 12%. uh, uh, So we have a problem with substance use and it's a real part, the, the, the report author said it's a real part of Irish society and a third of young drinkers have an alcohol use disorder. That really is quite scary. And then, of course, the report talks about the impact it's having on their health and on their mental health, on their relationships with family and uh, with friends. So we have to do something. We definitely have to do something when it comes to our relationship with alcohol. But also we have the worrying add-on to that, the relationship that young people now have with drugs as well. How much of that is leading to antisocial behaviour? 0818103103. Cost of petrol cost of diesel by God is it just getting higher by the day I find myself now every time I'm passing a petrol station I'm quickly monitoring to see how much the petrol is and it certainly seems to be going up every single day as I am passing families now are being urged to cut down on driving as petrol prices has soared to a record high now it's gone in some garages to over €2.20 a litre we've got Green Party TDs, consumer experts all coming out that saying reducing our car journeys may be the only way that we can save a bit of money on what we're spending on petrol and diesel. The Society of the Irish Motor Industry yesterday urged people to take sports equipment and unneeded heavy items out of their car because that helps to lighten the load. The heavier the car, the more that's in the car, the more petrol or diesel you're actually burning. The SIMI also advised people not to take unnecessary trips and to make sure your car tyres are pumped to stay at maximum 
maximum fuel efficiency and it's unusual for a motor industry to be saying to people don't take as many car journeys but they're saying that that's the only way that you're going to save on the increasing cost of running your car. Petrol prices are now they're now more than 30% higher than they were this time last year and this time last year we were giving out about the high cost of fuel up 30%. Diesel is up more than 40% than this time last year and that is remember despite the fact that the excise duty reduction by the government was introduced in March so if the government hadn't introduced the excise duty in March we would be paying an extra 20 cent per litre for petrol and we'd be paying an extra 15 cent per litre for uh, diesel so even taking that reduction away we are still paying record high for petrol and diesel. Now seemingly one station in Sligo yesterday was charging €2.27 a litre and there were certainly many garages in Dublin that were at the 2.20 mark or just about the 2.20 mark. In Limerick there was a report of a garage at 2.18 and according to the Irish Daily Mail there was one garage in Cork yesterday that had petrol at 2.17. Has anybody seen petrol at 2.17? Uh, somewhere here in Cork. Dara Cassidy is with the price comparison website bonkers.ie. He says there's a limit to the amount of help that the government can give. And he's also saying people need to now look at walking, look at cycling or using public transport. Use public transport, of course, if you live in an area where, where you have adequate public transport. The AA are out saying that the recent surge in fuel prices has now added €500 Euro a year to the cost of running a typical family car over last year. That's an additional €500. Euro. And this all comes, of course, as Ireland, we're facing the highest inflation rate in decades. We're currently at an inflation rate of 8.2% and we're actually just slightly higher than the Eurozone average, which is 8.1%. Dermot Jewell of the Consumers Association of Ireland, he's warning that rising fuel costs will lead to continued price increases for goods and services. Dermot Jewell explaining the cost of petrol and diesel and fuel of of any uh, kind, because we're an island nation, is passed on to us in the cost of the goods that have been delivered to us. So he says, as a consumer, we're facing the cost in two ways. We have to pay the extra for our own fuel, but then we also have to pay someone else's as well. The person who's doing the delivery, the knock-on, everything is going up in our shops. So it certainly isn't looking good and there's no sign of petrol prices certainly coming down. If anything, they are spiralling out of control. As I say, 227 was a quote in Sligo yesterday. And if it's a 227 at one part of the country, you can be guaranteed within a few days we'll be playing similar rates down here in Cork as well. 0818 103 103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. And here are some of the vacancies we have on our job slot today. St. Gubnitz Nursing Home, they're in Ballyagram. They're looking for a healthcare assistant. It's for relief duty. They're also looking for a healthcare assistant for night duty. CVs, please, to ST. 
gmail.com and please mark it for the attention of Mora. A shuttering carpenter is required for Ring Skiddy and industrial electricians are required for Cork City and County. CVs to jobs at hamiltonfrench.com. Building services design engineer wanted to manage various off-site construction projects in the Cork area. Email khenryengineering at gmail.com. And Duhallow Community Food Services are looking for a chef or a kitchen supervisor based in Newmarket. Please apply with your CV to linda.o'connor at doholofoodservices.ie. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is... C103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. Now, there appears to be no uniformity when it comes to visiting hours at our Cork hospitals post-pandemic, which is causing major confusion and upset for families who have a loved one currently in hospital. The issue of visitor restrictions were discussed at a recent South Forum meeting in raising her concerns. Fine Gael Councillor Eileen Lynch, who joins me this morning. Good morning to Eileen. Good morning, Patricia. Now, if you have a family member who unfortunately and sadly ends up in hospital, do you literally have to check in with that hospital to see what the visiting hours are? I mean, is that the situation we're at at the moment? Yes, um, unfortunately. So this was an issue that I raised at a HSE South Forum last week because I've been contacted by constituents not knowing there's different rules from hospital to hospital. So there is a lack of uniformity. There is a difference hospital to hospital. Uh, Cork County wide so unfortunately yeah, the best advice that I can give is that prior to going to visit a friend or a relative that you would check in with the hospital prior to because otherwise you may not be able to see them And and how does each hospital decide on their visitor restrictions or do we know? I don't have the guidelines as such but I was speaking with uh, Jerry O'Dwyer on this matter who's the Chief Executive Officer of the South West Hospital Group so he said, you know, they're very much still very conscious of COVID. They're looking at numbers in hospitals. It's based on that, and I suppose practically as to what suitable different hospitals, different sizes. But he still assured me that there is a level of flexibility there. And, and do you have examples of how the visiting hours differ from hospital to hospital here in Cork? Yeah, like for instance, in Cork University Hospital, uh, you can visit Monday Friday, but you have to prearrange your visit with the nurse manager, whereas in Mallow General Hospital, for instance, you can have one visitor per patient per day and you just need to sign a log. Then in Bantry, uh, visiting is permissible, but Monday to Friday from three to four. So it, it, it does vary between allocated hours yeah. or whether you have to pre-book or whether you have to sign in. The pre-booking one, I'm just thinking, that has got to be taking up valuable time for hospital staff, booking visitor time slots or even just answering the phone for queries about visiting hours. Must be taking up time. Absolutely. And I mean, it's very concerning. I suppose another discrepancy there in Cork CUH, uh, you have to pre-arrange with the nurse manager, whereas in the South Infirmary, there's an internet booking system. So at least with that, you can do it online. So I suppose it does save time for personnel who are actually working in the hospital. 
And it is really distressing, isn't it, Eileen, for for families who are desperate to get in and and to see a loved one and for the loved one who is in hospital who wants to see a family member. Well, yes, I mean, I would be very much concerned for the people that are actually in the hospitals because obviously in terms of just their general, I suppose, more mental health and well-being, if you're already in hospital for a procedure, whether elective or not, that's stressful and obviously helps if you can see friends, family, loved ones. So the other thing I suppose that I was concerned about is the continued use in the response I thought of the word restricted. So to me that was just family but again I raised this matter uh, with Jerry O'Dwyer and he said look there, there is flexibility that you can allocate okay instead of you know an actual close family relative you can say oh I want my friend, my neighbour, whoever to come but again you have to certify that beforehand. Pre-arrange it. Pre- and, yeah. and listen, the hospitals are doing the best they can. I mean, I know we had a situation uh, a good few weeks ago here in the programme where we were contacted uh, by a listener whose uncle, an elderly man, was in hospital and he was desperately upset and, and there was a particular nephew he wanted to see and uh, she was saying, was that, you know, there was no visitors allowed and we got onto the hospital and we got onto the ward and we arranged for the nephew to go in and see this poor elderly man and that's all he wanted was just a quick visit from the nephew and everything was, was fine and the hospitals are, are doing uh, their best and it is, they're still desperately trying to stop the spread of COVID. I mean, that's what this is all, is all still down to. They are unfortunately... COVID is very much still there. It's very much still active in our communities. So again, on one hand, you know, I I can absolutely understand why there's different restrictions in different hospitals based on COVID levels or based on the vulnerability of patients. However, that does then make it very difficult for both patients and family members or visitors to deal with. Mm -hmm. But in terms of, for instance, that case that you were talking about, about the gentleman who wanted to see his nephew, Again, when I raised this matter, I was reassured that there is flexibility because whilst they have to work in the best interest of the hospital generally, of course, they're also working in the best interest of individual patients. So if it is upsetting somebody to not be able to see a certain person, I've been reassured that there is flexibility available there. And it's also very important to point out that there is open visiting for end-of-life care patients. Yes, absolutely. There's... um, open visiting for compassionate grounds around yeah, life. So yeah. I think that's very important to get out there because, again, I'm not sure as to whether or not people are aware of that. So, someone said that to the, the, the hospital that you can book your time slot on by doing it online. Somebody said, that sounds like you're visiting a museum. Yeah, but I just from the from the staff's point of view, at least I'm just, you know, thinking of how busy they are in the hospitals without constantly answering the phone to somebody to say, OK, you can come at three o'clock. Oh, no, the three o'clock slot is gone. I'll put you in for four. You know, I mean, they have enough to be doing. They really do, and I think particularly in the bigger hospitals, the hospitals like CUH, because the visiting does seem to be a little bit stricter there in terms of pre-arrangement, as I said. Mallow, Bantry, um, even the Mercy, there's a bit more flexibility insofar as there's allocated hours, Mm. or you log in, um, whereas in CUH, I said, it it does have to be pre-arranged, as it does in South Infirmary, but at least with that, you can do it online. And the maternity hospital that we spoke so much about during the pandemic when it comes to visiting hours, they still have unrestricted for the partners, don't they? Yes, uh, very importantly. So there's unrestricted visiting for partner or nominated support person from 7 every morning to 11pm. Then in terms of the neonatal unit, parents can uh, both attend separately, again, unrestricted visiting. 
and the high dependency units there's unrestricted visiting. All right, but the neonatal parents have to attend separately. They're not both allowed in together. They can both attend separately, yeah, unfortunately. Ah, that's, ah, that's still the room ah. in the neonatal at the moment. Uh, and your point was to try to get some kind of uniformity. Is that, is that, is that, was that one of your main aims? Uniformity and clarity. Yeah, okay. <laughs> because to be honest, I hadn't seen as to all the restrictions and the actual rules set out anywhere. And I just think at least, you know, I have this information now I've shared on my social media Thankfully, you're covering it today. The examiner have covered it just so that people are aware, you know, okay, here's a list of what's actually in place at the moment. So I wanted that clarity, but then to seek any kind of, I suppose, reassurance in terms of conformity going forward, I didn't get that. But I can, look, I can understand the reasoning, as I said, unfortunately, as we're going about our day-to-day lives, those of us who aren't in hospital, it's still very much prevalent in our community and it is still in our hospitals. So look, I understand we still have to be very cautious and mind the vulnerable people in our society. Yeah, and of course, hospital visiting for most of us doesn't become an issue until you have a loved one in hospital or you end up in a hospital yourself and then suddenly it comes to the fore and then people are... Because I'd say there isn't a week goes by that we don't get call, a call in from a listener trying to find out, trying to... or turned up at a hospital thinking, you know, there's, there's a kind of perception out there that COVID is gone and people think, just turning up at the hospital thinking, oh, I can just go in and see my neighbour or can, I can go see whoever's in hospital and so when they get there they realise that they can't Yeah I mean look unfortunately that is the case and again whilst it is the time in hospitals I can't stress enough the importance of trying to find out the actual visiting rules that are in place in a particular hospital before you go because not only is it going to be upsetting for you to turn up and not be able to get in but in terms of the patients you're going to see if you've told him or her I'm coming to see you tomorrow and then you can't. Obviously, it's very distressing for them as well. Uh, Mary wants to know, and I don't know if you know the answer to this or not, uh, Eileen, are there still no flowers allowed when you're visiting a loved one in hospital? As far as, far as I'm aware, you can, but I can get confirmation on Would that you, and yeah, I can get back yeah. to you on that, Patricia. Yeah, because they, they stopped that. Was, was that. That wasn't to do with COVID though, was it? That this. That was prior to COVID, I was think. Was it? Was okay. It's nice to try. I will check though, and I will you, thank you. Yeah, get, get back yeah, to no us. Problem. I suppose particularly the maternity hospital are a place where a lot of flowers uh, go in. Uh, you would imagine go in and out of. And just while we have you on the line, another issue that you raised again, an issue that are we certainly hear from here on this program, and that is to do with the issue of uh, home helps. You looked for an update on the current waiting list for Cork County for people approved for home help um, re- either receiving it or not receiving their full allocated hours. Uh, what did you hear back? Essentially, there's um, just uh, 638 people I think currently on waiting list for home help in Cork County at the moment that aren't in receipt of services. Now, of that 638 there are 276 who are existing service users, so that means they've been allocated a certain amount of hours. They're getting some of them, they're not getting all of them. Um, whereas there are 362 people who've been allocated hours but aren't getting any. Now, this is an issue that I'm coming across a lot because I I really believe in the importance of home health and the importance of community care. I think a better a home health and community care system we have, the longer people can remain at home in their own homes rather than having to go to a hospital or to go to a nursing home. It's incredibly worrying, I suppose, that there is that list because going back a few years, the biggest issue in terms of home health would have been getting your hours allocated. There would have been a lot of people allocated, you know, two, three hours a week, etc. 
Whereas now, my bigger issue that I'm coming across is people being allocated hours from the HSE, no problem. But it's actually getting either HSE or agency staff available to fulfil those hours and to fulfil those contracts. We're back again to recruitment. Yeah, um, and it's, again, it's, I suppose, a funny thing to hear from the HSE. In terms of funding, you know, the answers that I got, and again, I was reassured on the day, this isn't actually a funding issue, it's a recruitment issue. So the HSE are carrying out a widespread recruitment campaign. I think they recently hired just uh, somewhere in the mid-90s of new staff. I think it was like 95, 96 additional home care staff. Um, and then there's some that aren't HSE, as I said, their agency, they'd be covered by private contractors. But it, it's just getting the staff is the issue. Yeah, and they really are. The home helps are just uh, the backbone when it comes to care in the community. And we saw how important they were during COVID times in keeping people safe and safe in their own homes. Well, absolutely. And as I said, for me, I just think it's such a vital service because dealing with the elderly, you know, it's majority of the elderly people that I know that require care if they have the option of staying at home with help or going into a nursing home, they want to stay at home. They're familiar with their surroundings. They're familiar with their friends, their families. And I think in terms of our growing population and the pressure that is on nursing homes, we really have to make community care and home care a priority because, you know, it's better for the service user, it's better for the community, and financially it's better for the service user also. So I think it's really something that has to be prioritised. Yeah, I mean, to see, to hear the 608 people on a list waiting for their allocated hours. And they don't give out these hours willy-nilly. You know, when each case is looked at, it's vetted to see does the person need it. So if they're on a waiting list, they genuinely need the care and attention of these home helps. Yeah, I mean, as I've said, it's an odd kind of complaint in that a few years ago, the issues we would have been facing would have been, I can't get the hours, as in I'm not being allocated the hours. Yeah, absolutely. Whereas to now be allocated the hours and just unfortunately um, the service providers just aren't there. Yeah. And I, you know, I I can see the position the HSE is in because look, it's it's echoed, I suppose, across the health system at the moment in terms of recruitment and lack of staff and they are there running continuous recruitment campaigns. But it's just, I suppose, look, they're finding it very difficult to get to people. Okay, all right. Uh, listen, uh, and hopefully that's, that's an issue that they will be able to start recruiting staff sooner rather than later. In the meantime, Eileen, thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme. Thanks so much, Patricia. Good morning to you. That is uh, Councillor Eileen uh, Lynch. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Starting next Monday, my next guest plans to hike from Antrim to Alihis. Geraldine Lynch from Kilnamarcha and of McCroom Buffalo Farm fame is undertaking the hike to raise funds for breakthrough cancer research and Geraldine joins me with all of the details. Good morning to you Geraldine. Good morning. Now you're obviously a very keen walker but have you ever undertaken a hike like this before? Well I have actually walked on the Barra Breckney Way but I did it over um, a series of weekends and a week, I think, was the longest. So this will be a new challenge for me. So you're doing this non-stop, is it? <clears throat> you're doing it in one block? I'm doing it all in one block. But I'm, I'm kind of doing it over six weeks um, with an average of 25 kilometres a day. 
and uh, I plan to take Mondays off along the way. <laughs> You're just right. You need one day uh, one day off. Have you the route selected? I have indeed. I'm um, following the the Ireland Way as such, and it takes in the Ulster Way, and then it joins up with the Beira Breffney Way in Cavan, and heading all the way down to to Beira. And will you do it solo? No, I well, I'm doing the whole lot of it myself, but I have um, a little network of friends. Um, and I'd like to give a particular thank you to Annette who's coming all the way up to the north and walking the Ulster section with me. Um, so, yeah, I, I, different people are joining me at different points along the way. So different friends who live locally along the way, is that the, um, the idea? Some that live, some are travelling. Yeah, I have a friend there that I walk with occasionally from Waterford and he's joining me in um, Cavan and walking to Banlaslope with me. So, what, and how, where will you stay along the way? So I will as variants of, of different um, accommodations. So I'll be staying in hostels for the first couple of nights. And then my sister has a friend in Maharan. I'll be staying with her for three nights. Okay. And then heading down B&Bs, air and B&Bs, whatever, whatever's in the area. And have you have you booked everything or you be booking? I did. You did? I did. So I'm under a bit of pressure now to stay on, stay on the course. Too, the first just, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a major undertaking. The preparatory work for a hike like this is amazing. It is. But the job know, I, um, I love maps. I love planning. <laughs> That's part of this part of most holidays for me. I love planning and love getting out maps and can't wait to just put the back on, pack on my on my back now and just get going. So, will you set off with everything you need for six weeks? Yeah, I suppose I'd be fairly manked after six weeks because <laughs> I'm, I'm keeping fairly light. Um, yeah, basically just a couple of changes of underwear, one or two pants, one or two tops, and that's ring see, gear, yeah, of course. If we get good yeah. weather along the way, you might be able to do a bit of washing. You never know. But, yes, yeah. well, hopefully now people will allow me to use your washing machine yeah, here and there. Yeah, that would be yeah. that would be really, really <laughs> a, a nice of people. Now, the reason uh, you're, you're doing it, I mean, other than it's a fantastic, and it's an incredible achievement to even attempt to do a walk like, like this, you're, but you're using it to fundraise for breakthrough cancer research, which is very personal to you. Do you want to tell us more? That's and why? right. Yeah. Um, well, my sister passed away back in 2010 from um, breast cancer, and um, I did some fundraising walks at the time. But um, I planned to do something on her 10th anniversary, which of course got delayed over COVID and all that. But I'm going now, better late than ever. So it's in memory of your sister. Yeah, it yeah. is sort of, and as well, my my husband had. Um, had cancer treatment in 2011, and he had a great result. I mean, he's healed and hearty. And, um, yeah, hopefully we just want to get better results for everybody who has to go for treatment. And Breakthrough Cancer Research do the most incredible work. Yeah, I think they're amazing. Yeah. yeah. And, and and I think they kind of fly slightly under the radar because a lot of the work they do are targeting cancers that does that don't have very good outcomes. And that's, I think, what's very unique about their research uh, projects. Exactly, uh, you know, yeah. And the only way we're going to see an end one day to cancer is by research. I think so. And if you go onto their site, I just found it so interesting um, to go onto their site and it shows you, you know, different targets for different types of cancer and, and the breakthroughs that they've been making. It's just amazing. Yeah, yeah. And of course, that all started because of Professor Jerry O'Sullivan. He was, the, the genesis of, of the breakthrough breast right. cancer was with Jerry O'Sullivan and they unveiled that wonderful life-size statue to him in Cora at the 
on Sunday. Thursday, yeah, yeah. 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 And, and his daughter, his daughter Orla, is the CEO of Breakthrough Cancer Research. So she's continuing to fly the flag uh, for her dad. And actually, and I mentioned this yesterday, they're also one of the recipients for the mayor's midsummer ball on uh, Friday night as well. Okay, so how do people support your? Well, hike? I have yeah, I have a fundraising page on I donate. Okay. So if you go on I donate and look for Antrim to Alleys. My name is Geraldine Lynch. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so. and, and all of the money raised going through Breakthrough? All of it's going to Breakthrough Canada. So you're funding the cost of it, the rest of it yourself? The cost myself, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well done. I am. Well but done. you know, sure, I'd spend more money in a foolish holiday some other you time. Would. So. You would yeah. indeed. You, yeah. you, you would so. indeed. So I, are you looking at it like a bit of a holiday? <laughs> well, I don't know. If I got the first two weeks down, I'd be more more relaxed. But um, yeah, I'm eager to get going now and to... Uh, see how I get on. And the weather will play a bit. The weather will and the north of Ireland isn't exactly the best place for good weather but anyway. So what is it? A train a train up north? Yeah train up on Sunday up to um, up to Dublin up to Belfast and then we'll bust it up I suppose to Ballycastle see I haven't the last bit figured out yet but we'll get there anyway. And then Monday um, Monday morning the first day. Monday morning yeah. Okay, well, the well, children of Lyra statue on the ah, north coast of Antrim. What a great place to start. Yeah. What a yeah. great place so to start. So the first two days will be lovely along the coast to the Giants Causeway and over to Port Stewart. And then we'll head down towards Limabaddy and Dungiven and all the ways. Listen, it's a, it's just it's an amazing challenge that you have set yourself. So we we wish you well with it, and I, and I do hope that the sun is shining on you. Then the I other side so. is you don't want it too hot either. No, you know, we, no, we don't want you know, scalded just... along, along the <laughs> route. If I can keep my feet dry and keep away the blisters. And I I met and chatted with you at one of our um, OBs, didn't I? For um, yes, you did, in McCroom, was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In uh, and you were there with the McCroom Buffalo Farm. How is the Buffalo Farm doing? Oh, brilliant, Is brilliant. It? We're really going strong, yeah. You got through COVID okay and all of that we in the pandemic? Did. Uh, COVID was kind to us, I think, because a lot of people were shopping in the supermarket and yeah. buying our cheese and shopping at the markets and um, they weren't going to restaurants. So a lot of people got a fancy for use their cheese at home. Yeah. So it was great. Bro. And you have the most amazing cheeses, I have to say. Will, so will, you, will you bring any of it with you along the way for the beginning part? Oh, I don't, think, I don't no. think it travels very well. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Jordan, Ger- we wish you luck with it. Antrim to Alahees. It's on an I Donate page. That's right. Best of luck with it, Geraldine. Thanks so much and, for having uh, me on. Thanks uh, for joining us. Uh, good morning to you. That is uh, Geraldine Lynch as uh, she gets ready to embark on what will be a €1,000 kilometre trek taking her from Antrim to Alahees in aid of Breakthrough Cancer Research. Best of luck to Geraldine. And the Bandon Youth Stars have been on to us to say that their showcase is happening this Saturday, the 11th of June. Any young performer is welcome to take part. It'll be on in the Bandon Town Hall next Saturday between one o'clock and three o'clock in the afternoon. But you need to call to let them know that your child would like to take part. 087 9 Double zero nine four nine four oh eight seven nine double zero nine four nine four. If you've a young person in your house with any kind of talent at all who'd like to take part in the Bandon Youth Stars Showcase, and we wish good luck to everybody taking part. And as I say, that is happening on this coming 
Saturday. Now I can already see some people complaining about the price of petrol and people are giving and sending us in examples of petrol. When I was I'm asking people to keep a look at petrol forecourts and what are they seeing because there's reports certainly coming from other parts of the country that it's gone well over the two euro mark in that in some parts of Dublin it's two euro twenty. We heard about the one garage in Sligo that seems to have reported the highest two €2.27 a litre. How far off of those figures are we here in Cork? If you've been driving and out and about this morning or perhaps purchased purchased petrol or diesel this morning. What sort of prices did you pay for it? Or what are you seeing at the four courts? Let us know. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. All this week we've teamed up with Foot Solutions. They're proud to be celebrating 15 years in business in Cork. Free your feet. The rest will follow. And to celebrate 15 years in Cork, they've given us 150 euro Foot Solutions gift cards to give away every day this week. We have a clip of an event that happened sometime in the last 15 years. It's a very well-known event. We want you to name what year did this happen. Prince Philip and I are delighted to be here. And that, of course, was the Queen Elizabeth when she came to Ireland on a four-day state visit, which included a visit here in Cork and her fabulous day out at the English market in Cork. What year in the last 15 years did that event take place? Did Queen Elizabeth and Philip decide to visit us here in Ireland? Answers, please, by text or WhatsApp only to 086 103. You have about 10 minutes to get your correct answer in, please. Then we'll make a draw and one listener will win the €150 Euro Foot Solutions gift card. What year did this happen? Argus Akoyza. Prince Philip and I are delighted to be here. Okay, get texting and WhatsApping on that, uh, please, now to 0862103103. And while we're waiting for that, let me give you some of examples and some commentary coming in about the rising cost of fuel uh, with families now and drivers, all of us being urged to cut down on our driving. And that is a way that we're being told that we can save money on our petrol and diesel by driving less. Uh, a listener in Carrigrohan saying for petrol, two €2.15 in one garage, €2.17 in another garage for diesel, 202 and 207 which is proving that you should try and shop around and keep your eye out everywhere you're going. When you're, If you need to fill up with petrol, keep a look around at the various costs. Sylvester says, Patricia, what is happening now with the price of diesel and petrol at our gas stations is a joke. Let me give you an example. The price of a barrel of Brent crude oil in 2011 was $118 a barrel. And can I stop you there, Sylvester? I remember when it went over the one. 
$100 a barrel mark. Oh my goodness, everyone thought never been that expensive and there was so much talk about it back in 2011. Anyway, it was $118 a barrel. At the time, the price of a litre of gasoline diesel or petrol was averaging here at €1.33. Today, the price of one barrel of Brent crude oil is $120. It's just $2 more than it was in 2011. But the average price for a litre of petrol or diesel in this country is well over the €2 mark. It averages out about €2.05. So maybe there'll be a specialist out there, Cecil Sylvester, can explain that to us, please. The difference between 2011 and 2022 is about 70 cent. And yet the barrel of oil the difference is only $2. If anybody can throw an explanation on that. Somebody says their local garage, the price went up by 13 cent between today and yesterday. That, of course, is to do with the garage. Obviously, took a delivery between yesterday and today and it's the price that they brought the petrol in at. Somebody says in Canturk, Two, two euro twenty three point nine for petrol, and two euro and nine point nine cent for diesel. Well over the two euro mark. Eileen in Newmarket sent us in a screen grab from Newmarket for her local petrol station. Petrol two euro twenty two cent a litre, and diesel is a two euro at nine. So a lot of really really high prices. Because I was saying when I started to. Read about the petrol stations in Dublin being at €2.20. I was saying, you know, how soon would we be at €2.20? It looks like already this morning there are garages that are well over the €2.20 mark as we speak and rising by the day. Amanda says petrol is around 2.09 at the moment between school runs and matches at the weekend. That's outside of travelling to work three days a week. How do they expect us to earn a living? As a mother of two, I've already cut back on my weekly shopping all the goodies all the cakes now out the window they're not in the shopping basket uh, at all might be a bad thing but surely we all deserve a treat now and again no treats in Amanda's shopping basket Dominic in Canturk said it's really getting tougher now just to travel to and from work. Whatever about energy bills, we try to cut down on our energy use, but we have no option when we need to go to work. Many of us bought houses away from the city due to the high prices and now we have to travel from Canturk into the city every day. If I could get a train, I would because it would be much cheaper than having to run a a car. And that's from Dominic in uh, Canturk. And Chris uh, says he'd love to be able to cut back on his driving, but he doesn't have any choice. He travels 20 miles to work every morning and 20 miles back in the evening. There isn't a bus or a train service on the route and cycling obviously isn't an option. He has no choice but to fill up with diesel every week to get to and from work. He feels prices have gone absolutely crazy and the government need to give drivers some kind of a break and cut taxes on fuel even further. And actually that call Chris for a cut in tax in taxes on fuel was echoed yesterday by the garage in County Sligo. This seems to be this garage in County Sligo is getting the most attention because they seem to be the highest. Their petrol is at two euro twenty seven a litre and diesel is at two euro seventeen. And it's the regional stores in uh, Sligo and he's admitted himself that the price of a litre of petrol he says it's at an astronomical amount. 
but there's not a lot he can do about it. He said the profit he is making on both the petrol and the diesel, it works out at about five cent a litre. That's all he is making. And so many garage owners will tell you that when you fill up with petrol or diesel, that when you go into the garage, if you buy yourself or treat yourself to a cup of coffee, then he'll make more of a profit on the cup of coffee that he'll make on the fill of petrol and diesel that you have uh, purchased. And he said the reason that his petrol and diesel has gone up so much was he was running out of fuel in his store. So he had no choice. He had to get a delivery in. And when the delivery came in, that was the price. It had gone up hugely. He said the market at one stage was changing on a weekly basis. He said it's now not even changing on a daily basis. It can change on an hourly basis. And that's when people start giving out about a local garage that from one day to the next there's a difference in price. It's to do with them getting a fill and the price that the fill was set at. So this gentleman who owns this garage in Sligo, Michael Higgins, he said that the cut in excise duty of the 20 centilitre on petrol and the 15 centilitre on diesel in March, he said that now has been rapidly overtaken by the rising prices. But he still feels that the government could help by reducing those taxes uh, further. And actually, I read that the a piece from... Kevin Parkland. We've spoken with Kevin before in the programme. He's the chief executive of Fuels uh, for Ireland. He says the government needs to look at the overall approach to taxation on fuel because he says the argument that increasing the fuel taxes results in decreased demand. He said that doesn't follow. He said despite the excise duty cut on petrol and diesel in March, he says users are still paying more tax now on fuel than we did this time last year and that's because the wholesale price has risen so much. He said the same litre of diesel that costs €2 today costs cost around one forty this time last year but it's the sale volume continues to grow because people don't have any option in most cases and that's what we're hearing from so many people when they're hearing people like Consumers Association and the Green Party and the SIMI coming out and telling people drive less to save money there are many people are saying well we're in a situation that we don't have any choice if you've got to get to and from work every day you have to earn the money to pay the rest of the bills And if your only option is to do it by car, then you don't have any choice with cutting down on the extra driving. Now, I think people certainly, uh, I would say there's very few people going out for a Sunday drive or will just go out for, you know, will travel 20 miles down the road to go maybe see Johnny and Mary. I think a lot of that discretionary driving, I think, has gone out the door. People now are only making the journeys, be it to work when it's absolutely necessary. And maybe, you know, as one listener was saying there, to pick the children up from school. Again, if you live in a rural area, you've, you've got to go and collect your children or if you have to drop them to soccer practice or to GA, whatever it is in the extracurricular activities that go on. You know, sometimes you have no choice, but you have to drop and uh, collect your children. So you have to use the car. So the, it isn't a, a simply a case of we'll cut down on how much petrol and diesel we are using in our cars. 0818 103 103. John Paul continues to take your calls. We were talking about hospital visiting and the restrictions that are in place. And I was just taken aback. This is my chat with Councillor Eileen Lynch, who raised it at the HSE Southern Forum meeting this week. And she was even taken aback that each individual hospital has a different arrangement. So it explains 
why certainly we get calls in with people totally confused about a loved one in hospital and when they're allowed in and when they're not allowed in and how many are allowed in and who's uh, allowed in. Uh, Margaret was on to say that in Dungarvan Hospital they have uh, one hour slots available but obviously you have to book them and that's the way it is with some of our hospitals here in Cork as well but I'm still thinking that that's time consuming for the staff. And then Charlie was on to say that his mum was in hospital. She went for surgery last week and just one member of the family was allowed in. I'm assuming they were allowed in for one hour. But Charlie says we would have taken 15 minutes each rather than just have one go in. But that's the way the hospital was. They were allowing one visitor per day for the entire day. And his mum is, I don't know if she still is a patient or not, but she had her surgery in CUH. And looking down through the list of all of the hospitals that the Southern Forum gave information on, Cork University Hospital appeared to be probably the strictest their visiting is Monday to Friday. All visits need to be pre-arranged with the nurse manager in each ward. Now, they do say other situations are dealt with on a case-by-case basis and people need to wear surgical masks and um, additional arrangements on compassionate ground. But all of the hospitals, in fairness, for end-of-life care and compassionate grounds have been very good and very flexible about it. But for everybody else, it's one visitor a day Monday to Friday is what's uh, what's CUH. There's no flexibility around that unless it's purely on compassionate grounds or end of life. So with Charlie, I'm assuming one person was nominated and that was it. Whereas if it was one hour, four of them would have kind of done a tag team and each gone in for 15 minutes. But unfortunately, that's not the way uh, it is. And as I say, it does vary from hospital uh, to hospital. And there doesn't seem to be an end in sight for when they're going to change those rules are when they're going to get any kind of uniformity so that everybody knows that all hospitals are operating the same way. It, you really are just going to have to check if your loved one ends up in hospital, you're going to have to check with the hospital that they're in as to when you can go in and who can actually go in. 0818 103 103. You can stop texting us please on our Foot Solutions uh, competition. Our answer was 2011 was when Queen Elizabeth and the late uh, Philip, her husband, came to visit us here in Ireland, which concluded a very successful visit to the England. And it is hard to believe that it was uh, 2011 over 10 years ago. We made a, well, John Paul made a draw from all of the correct winners and our €150 foot solution winner today is Marie Hassett of Kilrow in Canturk. Congratulations to you, Marie Hassett, Kilrow in Canturk. And once again, our thanks to Foot Solutions celebrating 15 years in Cork and we will have another €150 voucher to give away tomorrow on the programme. And someone said by text says Patricia, families will never cut down on driving. They are in their SUVs everywhere, especially at sporting events. It's crazy. They're then lumped in with truck drivers and farmers all trying to drive drive using machinery and they need to do it for a living. And they're all out there in their swanky SUVs, says one listener. You can't say all families, you can only say some families. And somebody else wants to point out that diesel in Ballinascarthy between Clonakilty and Bandon, one ninety 
21.9 and that seems to be quite low compared to some of the calls that we are getting in today. Thank you for that. Now a woman who almost died in a hit and run incident and this was in the summer of 2016 ran the Cork City Marathon on Sunday with the medic who saved her life. Olivia Keating was training for the marathon when she was knocked down on the 2nd of June 2016 in Ballinas by a motorist who sadly fled to the scene. Olivia spent more than a fortnight in a coma before undergoing intensive rehabilitation. She was running the marathon last Sunday alongside the consultant in emergency medicine who cared for her, none other than the wonderful Dr. Jason Vandervelt. And they did it to raise funds for the West Cork Rapid Response Unit, where, of course, Dr. Jason volunteers. Olivia Keating's in her 40s, said she was fortunate to escape with her life in the incident. Seaman O'Thee's John Cashman was at the finish line of the marathon where he got a chance to speak to both Olivia and Dr Jason. I'm with two people who are probably one of the most remarkable ever to tell in the history of the Cox City Marathon. I'm with Olivia Keating and Jason and Olivia I'm going to get you to take this from the start because I know it's been mentioned in the build up to this race that this probably is, is the ultimate and the ultimate triumph for you to go on the start line this morning. Tell us exactly why. Um, well, six years ago, I was due to do the Cork City Marathon and I had uh, I was cycling and I got hit by a car. Um, so I never got the chance to do the marathon. Um, I was quite badly injured. I was in a coma. I spent months in hospital. So for the last six years, I've been training nonstop to get to this moment to do this race that I never got a chance to do. Um, and I also managed to convince the doctor who saved me at the side of the road that day to do the marathon with me. So to be able to do it with him, it's just fantastic. It really is something special. You must have absolutely incredible powers of character, of belief and of focus to plan something like that based on, the, on your recovery. Yeah, and like again, you know, it's, it's especially for Dr. Jason, you know, especially with his work, with his volunteering, we knew it was going to be incredibly difficult to try and fit in the time, but he did manage to fit in the time, which was, it was really, really, I just think, a huge achievement. And I'm so proud of him now. We got there, we got there ahead of our time today, um, which is brilliant. You're standing here just having crossed the finish line. How do, how do you feel at the moment? Um, I, it's like the biggest relief. It's like a, like a whole weight's been lifted off my chest. Um, this is what kept me training when I was in recovery. This was something I kept aiming for even when I was going around with a walking stick. You know, I, I just wasn't willing to give up. I just said, no, I'm going to do it. And, you know, it really kept me motivated to train. So for me to do it today, it's just... It's amazing. Like, I know it's probably tonight now I sit down and blubber again. <laughs> Dr. Jason, what can you say about this lady, Olivia? One, about her recovery, but two, about her ability to focus and run a marathon and didn't persuade you to run with her. Uh, look, it's a testament to the human spirit and um, it just makes it all worth it, Olivia. You know, we, we spend years and years and years and years training and... Uh, and then as a charity raising money to try and uh, put critical care onto the streets and bring you know, intensive care level of uh, support to the roadside. And we are against so many battles all the time and there's always the naysayers and the this and the that and there's so many uphill struggles and hills to, to climb. And yet, uh, you know, anybody asks me why, it's, it's because of this. It's, 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 you know, the ability to take somebody who was otherwise dead on the side of the road and... Uh, bring them up and uh, you know and then you pulled me around and got me through my first marathon and I tell you now this has not been a day in the making I mean this is 
God, this is four years of training, uh, you know, and you know, you were there going poking, going, come on, last five Ks, or come, or just do a half with me, or just do that, and you know, and we ended up doing the full marathon. So, you know, look, it's a testament to human spirit. Anything is possible, guys. Anything is possible. And mentally and physically, it's an incredible achievement for your boys. And as you mentioned, of course, you're all doing it for such a worthy cause. This is all going to Westcock Rapid Response. That's right. We're actually raising money um, specifically and ring fencing it for the volunteers. So this marathon has not been possible without the absolutely like this. this <laughs> it's, gosh, I mean, there's so many. There's, there's over a hundred medical volunteers at this marathon that actually keep it safe, keep it happening, and make it happen. And we're plowing all of this money back into these volunteers from the Red Cross, Order of Malta, Civil Defence, and St John's. That is where this money is going to. So we're, we're one fifth of our way to our target of ten thousand people. Just need to get onto the uh, the, the okay. website there. Um, I can't even remember it now. I'm just shattered. But we really appeal to people who haven't clicked on to donate. Please donate. Uh, look at the Twitter feed, West Cork RR. You know, um, look look at, uh, you know, get out there and, and just donate. This is such a worthy cause. And it, it's, it's what it's all about. Olivia, talk to me finally about the race. The final stop on an incredible journey, but to undertake 26.2 miles. You could have picked something easier. You could have gone, you haven't gone for a 10k or a half marathon, but you win for the full one, 26.2 miles. What was it out there? Because it demands huge results of courage normally. Yeah, I, I think I, like it was, I always was into marathons. So, you know, I think for me to get back to doing what I used to do, that's what I was always kind of probably aiming for. So, to be able to today and Cork City was the one marathon I never actually got a chance to do. I kept missing it. So today is marathon number 45. And I get to run around the streets of Cork with the man that saved my life. You know, and that like is just a huge moment. Like, So it's, I don't think any marathon will ever compare. You know, so I'm really happy. 100% it can so now having have broken the mould and actually ran a marathon again are you going to go back to all times are you going to focus and, and go running marathons again as a regular absolutely I'm signed up to do the desert in November <laughs> f- f- final final show to you uh, Jason I don't know if you're going to get pulled into that one uh, can I can I take a rain check on that <laughs> I might look I mean it's been an incredible journey I've 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 come from weighing well over 110 kilos to weighing 90 kilos now you know it's a journey of self-discovery as well and getting fit and getting healthy again and, and you know that's that's the positive side of running it's uh, it's it really has turned my life around and so i i, I blame blame this woman i, I blame people like bob hillard <laughs> and and then the likes of the gang down in clonakilty but uh, oh my god uh, I'm, I'm 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 elated but shattered well, congratulations to you both. It's one of the most remarkable marathon stories we've ever had here in Cork. And hands up to Olivia Keating and indeed to Jason as well. What a fantastic story it is. Congratulations to you both. And thanks to our own uh, C103's John Cashman, who was at the finish line to have a chat with both Olivia Keating and uh, Dr. Jason van der Velde. And it was an incredible, an incredible story. And as Dr. Jason was so shattered, it's a, he couldn't remember what the GoFundMe, it's a go it's, it's a GoFundMe page, West Cork Rapid uh, Response. But he's right, if you go to the West Cork Rapid Response Twitter feed, there's a link there that you can click and you can still donate there. GoFundMe fund is still uh, open and available if you want to donate to West Cork Rapid Response, who do amazing work and have I mean Olivia is 
is the example of lives that have been saved by the West Cork Rapid Response. They've saved many lives in the past and they will save many more lives into the future. But they are a group of volunteers that really do need to be uh, supported. So well done to Olivia and to uh, Dr Jason. And I wonder, will our Dr Jason, will he do another marathon again? Olivia, certainly well. But I don't know about Dr Jason, even though he might get the buzz, he might, they, the people who start doing marathons have a tendency to sort of get almost addicted to them and, and keep running. Um, but for others, you do the one and what an achievement that is. So well done to Olivia and to uh, Dr. Jason. Your gardening questions, please, for Peter to 0818103103. John Paul has taken the calls. Uh, you can text her WhatsApp to 0862103103. Can I just say, I just spotted a, a WhatsApp that came in that really saddens me to read this when we were talking about the visiting hours at hospitals and how there are still restrictions in place and it can be frustrating uh, for people and upsetting for people if they can't get in to visit loved ones. But remember, there was a time during the pandemic when people couldn't get in to see loved ones at all. There was complete ban on visitors to uh, hospitals. And a listener from the North Cork area says, Patricia, my dad spent the last five weeks of his life in hospital all alone. This was back in 2020 at the height of the pandemic. And you know something, says this listener, I'll never forgive them for not allowing visitors at the time. On the day that my dad died, I had to plead and beg with them to please, please let me go in to see him. It took two hours before they got back to me to say, OK, you can come in. By the time I reached the hospital, my dad had gone into cardiac arrest. I was too late. My dad had died. Ah, and you're not alone. You're not alone with a a story like that. We've heard that story so many times, not just from hospitals, from nursing homes uh, as well. And it's it's tough enough to lose a much loved parent. But for people to have not been there at the end, people who really wanted to be there at the end, it just makes the grieving process even more difficult. My heart really does uh, go out to you. 0818103103. John Paul taking your calls and uh, texts and WhatsApps open at 0862103103. This is the Court Today replay on C103. And let's get some gardening advice from uh, Peter Dowd on the IrishGardener.com. Good afternoon to you, Peter. Well, hopefully some advice, Trish. I'll do my best. Yeah, and uh, if we could make the sun shine a little bit. It's been so wet. We haven't had to worry about watering anything anyway over the last uh, week or so. Well, we haven't, but you'd be surprised. And I know people will switch off the radio when they hear me say this, but even even one day at this time of the year with no water will have an impact on not on shrubs and things like that or established plants, but on on little bedding plants or pot plants or hanging baskets. Even one day with, with no rain will have an impact. So do pay attention to it. But but certainly in the last week, we haven't had to, weather, to worry about it, no. Yeah, and things like hanging baskets, like when it's because it's quite windy today and I mean, tomorrow is going to be windy and quite warm. They can dry out very quickly. Well, the wind will dry them out uh, unbelievably. And I have a little pocket in the in the the, the thing, if you like, next to my house, uh, where I just have a few little plants for a bit of colour. There's not much that you can put in. I just have a few little bedding plants. But uh, even there, I was standing out there in the rain yesterday, and not a, not a bit of it was getting in. And the reason I mentioned that is because a lot of the time, the same would be true with the hanging baskets, because it might be sheltered by the uh, eaves of the house, or the rain might be going the other direction. So you do need to just pay attention to it. Yeah. Okay, I want to take you back to last week because Colette and Kilworth 
had sent us on a photograph which we then sent on to you after uh, the slot. It was a plant that Colette purchased at the Mallow Show pre COVID and she doesn't know what it is and people keep asking her and admiring it and she'd love to buy more of them but she doesn't know what it is and we sent you on the picture Can do you know what it is? Well I do and Colette it's a beautiful plant it's it's a primula it's, a, it's, a, it's quite an unusual looking one it's very very dramatic when it flowers it's a really beautiful plant it's primula vialii so remember that it's v-i-a-l-i-i or two L's maybe right but anyway regardless it's primula vialii Likes a quite a damp position. Okay, you're, you're just move slightly. You're just you're breaking up there slightly. You can sorry just move. about that. Yeah, that's um, better there now. Yeah, well, so it's Primula vialii. It, it, it likes a quite a damp uh, position. The flowers open from the bottom up, and it's a really, really lovely one. Okay, and is it fairly easy to to purchase? She wants to get more of them. It. <laughs> It should be available, I would think, in most garden centres. I suppose like that, they'll be available when they're in flower. So you do need to know what you're looking for if it's not in flower yet. So, so that's where the name will come in handy. OK, uh, let me go into other questions in from Joan in Mill Street. Uh, hi, Peter. What, what causes geraniums to go leggy? More often than not, it's, it's one of two things, either lack of sunlight or that the pot is too small for it or maybe a mixture of both. So if they've been indoors, particularly over the winter months, which I suppose in this time they should be, uh, if it was a shed or somewhere that wasn't getting enough light, that would definitely encourage them to grow leggy. And also if the pot is too small. So what I would say is put them into a bigger pot. You could do that straight away, Trish. Uh, and when you're doing it, maybe prune them back a bit. So that'll encourage them to bush out. Just be careful when you're pruning them back that you don't remove all the leaves. So you do need to leave some leaves on them. But that will encourage them to push out below where you've cut. And in fact, the cuttings that you take now with the prunings that you take will will double up perfectly as, as cuttings. So into a bit of rooting powder, into a bit of compost with the what you're removing and you'll, you'll hopefully have new geranium. And they'll grow away. Um, hi, could you ask Peter, when is the right time to set a hydrangea? Well, well now is perfect because when you're setting something it's not you're not that determined by the time of the year because everything nowadays is grown in a pot so you can plant from a pot into the garden at any time of the year really it's the it's when you're taking something out of the soil that we have to be conscious of the time of the year but to, to plant something from a pot into the garden you could do it now the, the only thing is <laughs> and apropos of what we were talking about at the top of the piece you may need to worry about watering it uh, for the first few months just until it establishes now obviously nature is taking but um, hopefully we're in for a long, protracted, dry, sunny period at some point during the summer. Uh, and that's when you will have to pay attention to water. OK, Jack is in Wilton and wonders, is it too late to feed soft fruits, gooseberries and black currants? Would a liquid feed do to feed them or would you su- suggest sulphate of potash? I know I would go to liquid feed probably to be taken in quicker uh, and at this time of the year, it's getting a bit late. But I mean, it, it won't. It, it certainly won't do any harm to give them a liquid feed. Obviously, it, they're edible, so just make sure it's an organic feed that you're giving them. Um, so good liquid seaweed, like the Nature Safe Tomato Food, is a good organic Irish one, a very rich one. So maybe give them some of that. Um, uh, but liquid would be absorbed by the root system quicker at this time of the year. So yeah, I would. I, I, I would still would. Yeah. Okay, and Laura is growing tomatoes. 
for the first time with her children and they're having great fun planting them up. They've moved them outside two weeks ago and she said they've gone grown very tall and very leggy. Is this normal and when can they expect to see tomatoes? <laughs> Oh, okay. Well, in answer to the first part of the question, probably yes. Uh, It's probably normal. The reason I say probably is because it does depend on the variety. So obviously some varieties and the tumbler ones are kind of, you know, very compact and squat, whereas some of your others like Moneymaker and that can get very tall and leggy and the, 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 the internodes, which is the space between each pair of leaves, can be quite large. So I wouldn't worry about that, providing they're getting, provided they're getting enough sunlight. Um, then, then I wouldn't worry about them getting tall and leggy. They will need staking, particularly outside. Well, outside or inside, they'll need staking. So maybe have some bamboos to hand to, to support them. When can you see fruit? Uh, again, depending on the variety and depending on when they were started. Anytime, really, you, you'll see fruit. You'll see flowers, hopefully, now, around now. Uh, again, a good organic tomato food will, will help to promote flowers and, and then fruit. Um the fruit will start will form immediately after the flower, and you'd expect it to be ripening then during August, September time is when you'll hopefully be eating it, maybe a bit sooner, depending, on, as I say, when they were started. OK, Margaret wants to set lawn advice, please. When is the right time to do it? The two best months for Margaret, one has just gone and one hasn't come yet. So the two best months are March and September. Uh, so this September is when I would do it, but you could do all the groundworks now. You could get the ground ready for it now. So remove stones, remove any perennial weed roots that are there, give it a good rake to create a tilt and, and get it level. So do all that donkey work, if you like, which is the hardest part of, of setting a lawn. Uh, you could do that anytime, but probably I probably wouldn't set the seed until September. And the reason that they're the two best months, and you'll laugh when I tell you, Trish, is because in March, the temperatures are increasing. And in September, they're still warm and decreasing, but they're still warm enough for germination. But the period in between is too dry. <laughs> so um, that's, what, that's why September and March, because you do have moisture then. So uh, on saying all of that, that's the textbook answer. You could sow through the summer months. And if it does dry out, if it does get too dry, uh, maybe just put, scatter some fresh seed on it then in March. You know, you may have, certainly if you did it this week, you'd have enough moisture to, to, to get it to germinate, I would say. Liz wants to know your thoughts, please, on nematodes to eradicate vine weevil. She says, I know nothing about same. Well, it's the best solution of all, she'd be glad to hear. It's it's really the, the, the best thing to put on vine weevil. There is a nematode, Super Nemos, which is an Irish one, which controls not just uh, vine weevil grubs, but a variety of soil-borne grubs. I'm not certain that it's still available, but I think it is. But anyway, even if not, there are others. The name of the one specific for vine weevil, I can't remember off the top of my head, but a quick Google search will tell you. Uh, And what a nematode is, Trish, it's like a, a parasitic, microscopic parasitic insect, which feeds on whatever pest you're trying to eradicate, in this case, vine weevil, obviously. Now, you don't need to worry about introducing something else into the garden because when the host food, which is the vine weevil, is gone, the the, the parasitic nematodes die off as well. Uh, so it's a totally environmentally sound, totally organic way of, of treating pests. And a lot of the chemicals, uh, in fact, I think there's probably only one or two chemicals left on the market that will control vine weevil, but they're damaging. They, 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 they control, they contain... Uh, a type of chemical referred to as neonicotinoid, which you may have heard of in the past, Trish, which are one of the ones that are are said to be responsible. I need to be careful what way I phrase it um, uh, for the demise of our bee population. So I certainly wouldn't encourage anybody to go out and buy chemicals to treat fine weevil. I would only go the nematode route. And where did you get the nematode? 
toads? Uh, you'll find them in some garden centres, but because they are actually a living creature, um, they need to be kept in, in certain conditions. Uh, so you might be as well off to buy them online. But in the first instance, I would check with your local garden centre, but they should be stored. To the best of my knowledge, they all need to be stored in a fridge. So you'd want to double check that they're being stored correctly and so that they're still alive because you won't know by looking at it because it just looks like they just look like dust. They are microscopic. Okay. All right. OK. And finally, you want to give a quick mention uh, uh, about hospice gardens? Well, I do. I was asked to do it last week by Anne O'Mahony, who's a, a stalwart supporter of Marymount Hospice. Uh, and I, of course, being me, I totally forgot. But the, 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 the open gardens for the Friends of Marymount, organised by the Friends of Marymount, starting off soon. There's, a, there's, I think it's five or six gardens in the trail, kicking off on June the 19th with one near you there, Trish, in Mallow. It's Nora Roach in Annabelle at Mallow. That's Sunday week. She'll be open from two to six, uh, all in aid of the hospice. And I think visiting private gardens when they're brave enough to open them to the public is a, is, is a fabulous thing to do. You get inspiration. It's a lovely way to spend the afternoon. Obviously, you're, you're, you'll meet kindred spirits, but you're also giving to a very worthwhile charity, obviously, Marymount, which is very close to my own heart. And it runs on then till there's, as I say, several gardens and it runs on till the 24th of July, uh, which will finish off the last garden there. And it's John Terry and Hilary Nason and Cloyne. But coming up Sunday week on the 19th of June is the first one, uh, Nora Roach in Mallow. And I'm sure any of the listeners will be familiar with her and her garden. And for more information, anyway, you'll find it on Mount Hostel's website. OK, listen, thank you for that. And uh, we'll chat again uh, next Wednesday. Thanks, Peter. Good I think morning, we thank you. Thanks. Bye bye. We were just starting to, uh, to lose him there. That is uh, Peter Dowdle, the Irish Gardener.com. Now, Gardaí in North Cork have been on to advise of a road closure this afternoon. It is on the N20 between Butterfant and New Tupot House. A truck is overturned. A crane has been brought in to assist with the uh, recovery. At the moment, we're told traffic is reduced to one lane, but the road will need to be closed for a time this afternoon and obviously then local diversions will be put in place. Road users are being advised to take an alternative route and to avoid the N20 between Butterfant and New Tupot House, certainly for the bones, I imagine, of the afternoon. And that is to do with uh, earlier today, we mentioned, because the listener contacted us to say that truck had overturned. And I was thinking at the time, it will take some time to get an overturned truck removed and back up into its correct position and get it removed, particularly around that area of the Ballybeg at Benz. So the guard is saying the road is going to be closed for a portion of time this afternoon. So alternative route, please, and avoid between Butterfant and New Tupot House. OK, that's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we will be back with you tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock on to the Nine Patricia Messenger. A very good afternoon. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ 
the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., 